You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our first guest today is Craig Rutledge. He is the senior consultant at the Vision Link Advisory Group. This business show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. The show is brought to you by our advertisers, Brandman University, Center Club, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, SNH Rubber, Succession Strategies, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs running middle market firms across North America, to improve your decision-making skills. Craig, welcome to the show. Rick, thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your professional background. Okay. Yeah, I've uh, actually born and raised here in Orange County, so have a uh, good view of where Orange County's been and where it's going here. I went to school at UCLA and came out of school and started in the uh, insurance and employee benefits field. Okay. Yeah, so um, started working with really small companies probably at that time more than anything else, helping them with different employee benefits and executive benefit type plans like deferred compensation plans and things like that. At the time, how did you get into that field? I got to Yeah, I mean, it's not like a, you know. no. You know what? Just uh, met a guy coming out of college, right? So you just the, the standard. I would have never thought that he was a political science major. I uh, uh-huh. was thinking about law school, and and then uh, met a guy who was who was in this business and talked me into starting in it, and uh, I loved it. Loved working with businesses. Okay, and, uh, and really just started from there. Uh, met. Actually, my partners who today are my partners met them actually at this same firm when we started. We all started together at this firm and oh, okay. really kind of migrated into <clears throat> excuse me doing the same things and really have evolved from doing employee benefits into where we are today, which is a boutique-style compensation consulting firm. Okay, so that's exactly what the next question was going to be. Thank you for helping me. Um, what is it? that makes the firm different? Why do clients choose you over others? What service do you provide? And why do people people want to do business with you? Yeah, so we're we're a full service compensation consulting firm, and so you don't often hear that. So people say, "What is that?" So we we help companies, middle market companies, um, look at all areas of compensation. So we will help them in everything from salary, so making sure they have competitive salary structures, um, pay grades, how to organize compensation, um, to probably what we spend most of our time in is helping companies design incentive plans and helping them build reward strategies that are going to back up their business strategy. And so what makes us different, I think, is you don't see a lot of compensation consultants that, that really uh, support the middle market. You see all the big players out there, the right. you know the PricewaterhouseCoopers and the uh, Mercers and all of those out there that are really looking to work with the kind of Fortune 1000, Fortune 2000 maybe size companies. And we believe that, that what we bring and differentiates us is that we can provide almost that same exact service, obviously, for a fraction of the cost. For How do you define middle market firms? Yeah. For us, we look at that in, we, if you're looking at it from revenue size, which is really how we define that, we're, our primary companies working with us are in that, you know, they really start needing our services in the 5 to $10 million of revenue up to about $250 million of revenue. Okay. Lower middle market firms then? Yeah. yeah. Okay. The demographic for the listeners on this radio show are CEOs running firms $100 million up to about $100 million. We have people running larger firms, but if you look at the sweet spot of who we program for, uh, it's it's a lady or gentleman running a hundred million dollar company. Mm-hmm. So yep, I think that fit, uh, fit fit pretty good in our uh, in our profile. Okay, so um, 
I understand delivering a high level of service at a reasonable price. What are the advantages that clients get from engaging your firm or even a similar firm? I mean, why is this important in a well-run company? Yeah, I think this every everybody, every company out there at one point or another struggles with compensation. <clears throat> and it, and it all usually revolves around the amount of compensation that they're paying people, um, but but usually they're not they're not addressing the underlying, which I think first companies need to address what it is that they pay for and where it is they're going as a business and how to design the right compensation plans to meet where they're going. So if they're a small growing business, perhaps short on cash. Um, and maybe can't afford to pay even market salaries, perhaps, is they need to look at designing incentive plans, perhaps, that, that can fill some of that void. So it's looking at the correct amount of fixed versus variable compensation. So fixed compensation are things like your salary and your benefit costs and your retirement plan. Those are fixed and, and something that growing businesses want to keep control of, not letting those get out of hand. Right. Um, and then having variable compensation that says, okay, this is this is more performance-based and this is ways for us to um, be able to measure the return we're getting on our dollars, our compensation dollars. Has there been any new ideas or attractive ways that company progressive companies in this space are using to motivate their employees beyond pay beyond pay well i think you'll see um <clears throat> i think everybody tries to do that in one in one way or another and i think you know from everywhere from employee recognition plans um to having employee picnics and different types of days you know and things that maybe aren't directly dollars and cents related but i think I think what companies should focus on the most is not just the dollars that they're spending out there. I think they need to make sure they're communicating really what the future of the company is. I think if you look, you can see surveys all the time of why people stay or why people leave at businesses. Mm -hmm. And compensation is usually in the top three or four, but it's never number one, right? People are looking for a compelling future. They want to be part of an organization that has a compelling future. They want a positive work environment where they're at. They want opportunities for their own personal and professional growth, and then they want, obviously, rewards that are that are going to lead them to where they want to be. Excellent. Do you see any difference in how companies that you work with or prospects that you're engaging view this area now that we are emerging from the Great Recession and people are starting to change jobs and feeling like, you know, it's it, the pendulum is moving a little bit more back towards a balance between employee and employer? Or is it still business as usual or kind of what's your sense? Yeah, on that? no, I, I think we definitely do see it swinging back to a certain extent. You know, everybody over the past, what's it been, almost five five to six years Feels now, like right? forever, doesn't it, in some ways? Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, we went through the everybody really condensing down and asking people to do more and more for potentially less and less over that period of time to now I think what we're really seeing is um, we have a lot of projects going where, where companies are looking to retool their incentive plans, and that's always a good a good sign that things are looking up. They're looking to the future and saying that. We, we, they're designing more long-term incentive plans now than we than we ever have, and that speaks to companies being able to look out to the future and see growth mm -hmm. uh, in their business. Um, I would imagine some of the firms that you work with are privately held firms, maybe. 95% of okay. the firms we work with are privately okay. held. So of that 95%, many of those may be closely held, privately held firms? You know, Another 90, 95%. Okay. Okay. So very tight demographic. <laughs> yep. um, 
Are you seeing or have you seen or do you advise any of those owners to consider ownership, some type of a way to create an owner mentality in their employee population as an incentive? Absolutely. That that does speak to what I was referring to before in long-term incentive plans. Okay. And long-term incentive plans are, are really more value-based. So they're saying, help us increase the value of the organization, and we as a company have a way to share that value with you. And so those are things like you hear in public companies like stock, restricted stock, or stock option plans. Right. Um, even more popular when you get to closely held businesses where that's not necessarily um, going to fit very well in, in starting to add shareholders or share equity. And so there's a lot of plans that can mimic the value you you see in restricted stock and stock options um, in the form of what's called phantom stock or stock appreciation rights plans. And so those are probably some of the most popular plans that you see out there right now because of what they speak to, which is if I can, if I'm going to tie this value increase and my, and my key people are going to participate in that, they're going to start thinking like I'm thinking and making decisions like, like I make decisions as a business owner. Are those complicated programs to administer? They're really not. They're really not. Um, the plans themselves, the phantom stock plans, they are typically what's called a formula-based plan. So you tend to value the companies using a pretty simple formula, some sort of earnings multiple. Okay. Yeah, and so it's very very easy to value it each year, and you can make grants of shares just like you can with, with options. There's a little bit different in how you treat them. They're not exercised. There's no market to exercise them or anything like that. They're just a cash-based long-term incentive plan. Right. And... Um is it clean when a key employee who's a part of this program leaves? Is there is that a, is that a clean process for the owner of the business? I guess what I'm trying to ask: what are the barriers to sure, implementing a program sure. like this? Well, that's the point of putting it in. Nobody leaves once you put it in, right? Okay. Investing. Okay. <laughs> but no, that's the idea behind it. Is obviously they're great retention devices, and you build vesting into these plans so that there's some forfeiture when people do leave, when there is a separation of service, and so okay. you, you build all of that in ahead of time. So you define all the terms and conditions that say, hey, if this happens, what what's going to happen. So if I'm leaving, it might trigger a payout for me. Usually you trigger a payout over a longer period of time if somebody's leaving than you do if somebody's, you know, has a maturity issue or retirement or something right. along those lines. So right. actually and that's all built in. That's flexibility in the program. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, um we're going to continue this conversation, and I'm talking with Craig Rutledge. He's with the Vision Link Advisory Group. We're going to continue the conversation after we take a very short time out for our valuable sponsors to deliver their message to you. So we'll be right back after these words from our advertisers. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, What happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. 
Today's businesses are embracing voice over IP telephones and unified communication desktop technologies to more effectively communicate and collaborate with their customers, suppliers, and colleagues. The Reliatel management software from Tone Software Corporation helps organizations of all sizes manage their communications technologies to ensure great voice quality and better levels of service and reliability throughout their business. Through Reliatel, you'll gain higher return on investments from VoIP and unified communications technologies while lowering the associated operational support and maintenance costs. Learn more. Visit www.tonesoft.com or call 800-833-8663 for information on Reliatel by Tone Software, the solution for quality business communications. Hey, did you know that over 73% of consumer packaged goods and retail products fail miserably within their first year? Why? Because they find themselves in the pit of unawareness. You don't want to go there. Call me, and I'll make sure that your packaging gets noticed. You know how I know? Because I'm the founder and creative director of MBN Design. We're one of Orange County's most established and trusted design firms. With over 20 years of experience, I can ensure that your brand will always stay new. Ask me how our packaging sold millions in months, or see for yourself other success stories on our website at www.mbndesign.com. We're MBN because we're making brands new. Call 714-458-8701 and talk to me, Hector Garcia. That's my cell, 714-458-8701. I'll be waiting for your call. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, Craig Rutledge. The Vision Link Advisory Group is our guest in this segment. Uh, I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our radio show as a podcast. Uh, over the last 30 days, you've downloaded close, really close, to 16,000 downloads, and we appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live on Internet radio station octalkradio.net and obviously rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, you may not have heard of that here in the U.S. They are a European-based downloading service, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. They're our newest downloading service, and we're happy to have them as a part of the community. And I'd like to get back to the interview. You know, off-camera, off-mic, we were talking, and I wanted to ask you, tell me about the name. How did you guys come up with the Vision Link Advisory Group? Yeah, we uh, actually rebranded ourselves 10 or more years ago, I guess, now um, with that name. But it really speaks to... Um, what we believe is a key importance of being able to de- develop a really productive workforce, and that is really there's two two visions in any organization. Every every business spends a lot of time actually developing their vision statement and their strategy and, and expressing what that is. But at the same at the same time, your people, especially your key people, have their own visions of where they want to go with their roles and their responsibilities, their own financial futures. And we believe if you can link those two together, so the vision link there, that you can link the vision, and so that people understand in the organization, if we can achieve the company's vision, it's going to lead us to our vision as well. And linking those together gives you a great chance to be able to succeed. Well, that, that leads me to, the, to a question then, because we do a lot on the radio show over the years about employee engagement. I've drank the Kool-Aid. I believe if you have an empl- engaged workforce, it is a, it's the most defensible competitive differentiation a firm can have because it's the hardest to copy. You can't overnight buy that. And many leaders can't even instill it in the culture if they wanted to. So do you find the services that you provide to your firms help in employee engagement? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It starts with, and a lot of times we'll start with an organization and helping them design what's called a compensation philosophy statement, which really is a statement about pay, what they pay for, um, potentially the amounts they pay, the forms of pay, all of those things that helps define how they're going to reward people for helping them succeed. And it will get people engaged in using the different types of compensation strategies. Because I, uh, I also see, having worked with a number of middle market firms, Many times the employees have a misperception of how well the business is returning wealth to the owner. Absolutely. We're firm believers in being as open and honest as you can, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to open the books to all your employees out there, but what it does mean is you're going to share the importance of profits to the businesses. People, there's there's not that much financial literacy out there once you hit below certain levels, and we think it's important that you create some financial literacy, that people understand that profits are the the lifeblood of a business, and they become the lifeblood of your compensation plans if you're building the incentive plans around profit numbers. So we think it's very important. Right, and uh, I advocate to my owners that they that they tell the truth about that area, especially if they're rolling up in a new car and people go, well, look, he's got a new car. She bought a new boat and, you know, here we are, mud farmers or something. You know, it's just people make it um, more interesting. The truth is rarely as interesting as what can be thought of. That's it. Have you and believe how many times I've heard from interviewing, you know, employees at businesses and, and them confusing revenue with how much money the company's making. Right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and the, coming out of the recession, I think it's a really good time to have an econ lesson with your employees because hopefully most companies are feeling safer now and their employees are feeling safer. But now it's a good time to go back and show them, I think, to talk to them about how the kind of decisions that they had to make so that you can actually see – you you know it's a lot like your family checkbook guys there's only so much money in here and right that's exactly right and i think if you're going to we use the term value sharing when we talk about compensation plans and, and that a company should have a value sharing philosophy. And if you're going to have that philosophy, you're going to have to be able to express it some way to people. And so having some of that financial literacy and being able to explain to people what the real value that's being created is, uh, is very important. Right. All right. Well, we're talking with Craig Rutledge. He is senior consultant consultant at the VisionLink Advisory Group. Have you developed a guiding principle? We ask this question to many of our guests on Critical Mass Radio Show. What we mean by guiding principle is kind of your philosophy for how you're leading and growing the firm. If you have a guiding principle, could you think about that and share that with our audience? I, th- I think it is. I think ours is, is, is an expression to the shareholders of the business we work with that to, to, to increase shareholder value over time, which is what business owners are, are, are definitely all about, is to increase that value, you need a dedicated and committed workforce. And to be able to get that, you need to build the things we've talked about already, which is to build and and explain to them a compelling future and then build a rewards plan, a total rewards plan, whether it's salary, incentive plans, benefits, that support that strategy and and support that value-sharing philosophy. It's interesting how people have a different sense of what's valuable to them. You know, money doesn't always motivate people. Even if if they're a highly money-motivated person, at some point – it may start to have diminishing returns, right? So thinking about other things that, and I found, ask them. If I were to give you something, what would you like to have? Maybe for some people it's an extra afternoon free. It's true. It's one of the one of the, the starting projects we have with companies. This is called a compensation game plan, and we do oh. surveys and interviews of employees, okay. inter- actually interviews and, and online surveys where they can vent themselves out. We, we, we have a 
quite a few questions that they answer and raise. Is it confidential? Again. It is confidential. Okay, so that really is powerful. Because then they can tell you the truth, right? Absolutely. Right. Yep. Yeah, we find shareholders really, really enjoy this. And, and it's never as bad as they think it's going to be. It's, it's pretty funny. We actually ask the same questions of the shareholders that we ask of the employees just in a different just in a different reference okay. and then compare the results. And, and, you, and almost usually the shareholders or the decision makers rate themselves worse than the employees do in the various areas of compensation. So, well, that's good. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. Well, then they should definitely take and take the time to hear what their employees are talking about. Absolutely. It helps you design the, the right compensation strategy. We, we break compensation down into eight different pieces of things you can use. Salary, okay. short-term incentives, sales incentives, long-term incentives. Those are all the cash portions of it. And then you have all the benefit plans, so your, your standard benefit plans, maybe some executive benefits above and beyond, your retirement plan, and perhaps some non-qualified plans as well. So you have those kind of four arrows in your quiver to use. You don't use it. No, nobody's going to use all eight for all of their employees, but you need to determine where do we spend the dollars. We have a fixed amount of dollars we can spend, and so what's the right way to spend those dollars? So, Craig, do you, do you, have you ever seen any of your clients engage their clients in any of this work, or are clients of a company never a part of the compensation discussion? So, Tell me what you mean by the clients of the company. So their customers, <clears throat> their customers. Yeah, we well, we get a lot of referrals to other to other clients that 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 definitely uh, will use our services as, as they've seen um, some improvement in theirs and okay. improvement in um, retention. And I think you know, we did touch on this a minute ago. You know, we didn't have to talk about retention for the last four or five years, but starting right now, you're really starting to see that there are things that are opening up. People are people have been doing a lot of work for the same pay for quite a quite a bit of time here, and so things are opening up there. And I think it's as important a time as ever that you engage your employees and continue to sell the future that you have at your company and then continue to sell that you have rewards plans that are going to reward people for helping you achieve your your, uh, vision. So tell me about the future for your firm. We've been growing pretty dramatically uh, over the last few years. We have clients in 40 different states now, so we're based here in Irvine, but have clients in 40 different states just from referrals to clients and um, some of our marketing efforts that we've done over that period of time, and we think we're going to continue to grow. I think it's a, it's a very important issue that obviously big companies and Fortune 1000 companies have realized for a long time, and middle market companies are realizing that building the correct reward strategy, this doesn't mean paying more than you're paying right now, it just means it means building the correct reward strategy for your people is going to help you achieve what you're trying to achieve. It's not going to be a hindrance. I think you, you'd ask almost any shareholder when they look at their P&L, compensation is one of the biggest, if not the biggest line item on the, right. on the P&L, and so what we say to them is what are you getting for that? And you should measure that. You should. It's an investment you're making in people, and you should measure your return and make sure you're spending those dollars right are there differences in how you construct your plans based on being in 40 different states how much how important is the state that you operate in say for a company that has employees in multiple states Mm -hmm. yeah there are some there's obviously some state labor laws that you always need to be aware of and so um, they're fairly uniform certainly more onerous in some places than others but there are some issues you need to address especially as it relates to short-term incentive plan payments bonus payments and salary and hourly employees and things like that okay so having a firm like yours that knows how to construct plans in 40 different states it's good for a middle market firm who maybe has people in m- many different states. Absol- right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Great. We, we believe we provide that kind of level of expertise. All right. Final question. If someone wants to learn more about the Vision Link Advisory Group, Craig Rutledge, how do they find you online? Yeah. Find us at uh, www.vladvisors.com. 
vladvlvladvisors.com. Yeah. I think another one that's easy to remember, we have a, a kind of a, another site that we developed as an informational wiki site, and it is www.phantomstockonline.com. So oh, okay. if you're looking to find out about Phantom Stock and how they work, it's all informational. You can actually even build your own plan right on the well, that's great. I'm, I'm uh, off cam, off mic. I said that I have CEO peer groups here in Orange County, and I'm working on my 2015 curriculum. I would definitely want to have your firm in to talk about Phantom Stock and and these kind of ideas because I think you got to be doing it. You're right. People are looking to change jobs. You don't want to lose your key employees, and this is an important part of retention. So, thanks for being a friend of the program, and welcome to our community. Thanks very much, Rick. Enjoy right. being on. Have a good day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a short commercial break. Evan Weinberg, owner of and co-founder of Sisamonte uh, Brewing Company, will be our next guest. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about all things in craft brewing after these words from our commercial sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. SNH Rubber is a manufacturing company in Fullerton, California. We specialize in custom molded, extruded, and stamped rubber parts. If your next job requires a rubber part, we would appreciate the opportunity to quote on it. We serve aerospace, automotive, and many other industries. We work with many types of rubber, including silicone, EPDM, neoprene, uninitrile, and viton. Our quality system is ISO and AS9100 approved. Over our 47 years in business, the SNH brand has become known for superior quality, quick turnaround, and competitive pricing. Please check out our website at www.shrubber.com or call 714-525-0277. Let SNH be your ceiling solution.
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. As promised, Evan Weinberg, owner and co-founder of Cismontane Brewing Company, is in the studio. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives of middle market firms who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio program is the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our program. And with our exclusive Prospect Engagement Program, we can deliver up to 23 warm prospects to each of our sponsors and advertisers each year. If you'd like to learn more about this fantastic program, then contact Rose Chamora at 951-515-4661. Let me give that to you again. 951-515-4661. Evan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. Let me ask you a little bit about your background. I mean, what did you do before you co-founded Cismontane? That is a complicated story, actually. I've done a lot of different things. Um, But immediately before starting the brewery, I was working for a software company locally. Somehow went from a tomato farm to that software company, and before that was working in uh, retail, real estate, and commercial home building. And then uh, before that, I was in... Uh, oceanographer in the islands, the Hawaiian Islands. Look at you. <laughs> kind of bounce around. A bit. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. So that's good to have a diverse experience. Well-rounded. You bring that to the brewing process, I'm sure. In some ways, absolutely. So how the, why, how did you co-found a brewing company? Well, I think it was a combination of things, but, um, you know, having, having, been in the tomato farming industry, uh, which is kind of a unique thing. We were an organic farm, and having that kind of tangible connection to a product that you produce is something really, really unique. And then bouncing back and forth between sort of environmental work and corporate work and all this other stuff uh, kind of let me help me to hone in on things that I'm interested in. And I see see it as sort of an outlet for me, you know. I think in in order to make any money in the brewing business, you need to start with a lot of money, and that's that's not the way we did it. Okay, Uh, it's more of a sort of an artistic expression in some ways, and 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 having that connection to the end consumer, which is very unique. So craft beers, that's right. How did you come up with the name? Cis Montaigne is an amalgamation of, of who I am and the the people that surround me and the things that surround me. Um, before people started naming cities in Southern California, so this is like the early 1800s, they referred to the entire area as Cis Montaigne, California. Oh, really? That term came from the French Alps originally. So you have immigrants coming to Southern California. They notice they're sort of surrounded by mountains, and they start using that term in a synonymous way. Oh, wow. And as people started naming cities and towns and areas, they stopped using it. So about the 1900s, it more or less went out of use. The the one place that it did hang on is in the environmental sciences. And so, you know, dirt 
dirt nerds of all types, and uh, those, those are geologists for those <laughs> you haven't heard that term. Um, but uh, the, the geographers, geologists, and bio biogeographers, all those folks pay attention to that kind of stuff, and they still use the term today. In fact, I think there's even a there's even a um, like a convention somewhere called it's called Cismontane, not Southern California. Wow, yeah, okay, it's a thing. So you're really connecting to the heritage of the region, then? Yeah, I grew up in San Diego. My family is fifth-generation Californians. My great-great-grandfather was a bounty hunter in Lancaster, if you can imagine what that was like. Wow. Uh, um, so, yeah, we're, okay. we're well-connected here. And I've lived everywhere from Santa Barbara to Mexico, more or less, and I kind of consider that my stomping grounds. And then with the scientific background, it all sort of tied together. Okay, so, so your brewery is in Rancho Santa Margarita? That's correct. How did you pick Rancho Santa Margarita? Well, it kind of picked us in some ways. Um, there was a brewery there that was called Saddleback, and it was, you know, on the rocks, let's just say. Um, and as I was working for the other company, I was kind of looking for this outlet, came across Saddleback for sale, and we were able to negotiate a good deal with the landlord and the current owner to take over the space and, you know, absolve some debt they had and stuff and just make it all work out. So it was, it, it was all about ease of entry and it was local to me. So there were there were sort of those were the combinations right. of factors that yeah. were supported. very advantageous right because right. the infrastructure the, the plant as it were was already there parts what, of it yeah okay what's the key in your experience because the craft brew industry is really taking hold and which i think is amazing because i'm more of a beer drinker than a wine drinker so i'm so glad now that we have <laughs> choice mm-hmm. and flexibility and rich tastes, but I won't get into your uh, all that stuff. But you know what I'm saying? W- what's the key as an entrepreneur in this space? You know, it, it depends on what you want to do. Uh, I think there's a lot of room. It's been sort of uh, suppressed, if you want to if, if you use that term, for a very long time. So beer's been seen as a commodity. Right. Yeah, for probably 100 years. Right. And with this craft beer revolution, which started with homebrewing being legalized, um, you know, the 70s is where people really started taking hold in the homebrewing area. They started brewing production a little bit. And now it's sort of it's sort of reached this critical mass, so to speak. Good term. Uh, thank, thank you. And um, we are just riding the wave. And I think it, it, depending on how you want to approach it, I think just about everybody can do pretty well because there's a giant hole in really? the industry. It's starting to get just a hair complicated with a lot of things popping up and everybody wanting a piece of the pie. So you find people diversifying a little bit. You also find some really some really big players coming into the market. Folks that have a lot of money mm. and aren't afraid to spend it. Okay. Um, starting off, you know, 10, 20 times our size from ground zero. Okay. And that's that's pretty different. Um, well, there's a supply and demand model in all businesses, so right. you you can control your your supply to some degree, although you have to make investment to expand that. How do you create the demand in volume that supports a growing business model? The demand's there. This is this is a vacuum, and this is a market that just hasn't been tended to in a hundred years. And with the change in laws and the change in demographic and the change of view of the consumer, you have sort of an, an endless pie right now. Wow. That's going to change yeah, to, that's gonna to a pretty big extent. Other intelligent entrepreneurs who have this 
idea will come into the space yeah, as well, Yeah, people right? are jumping into it, and it's really, really aggressive. And you've got a lot of people coming in with very little business experience. Mm, that know, that dangerous. Are, yeah, that yeah. are taking a big risk. Right. So we'll just see how this all plays out. I can't say what's going to happen in the future. I know there will be some attrition at some point, but I don't know when that's going to be. It's a very hard thing to put your finger on. Is Southern California an, an area where craft brewing is is taking hold? I mean, it's, it's, my sense is San Diego, very popular. Northern mm-hmm. San Diego County, a lot of great places to go down there. Mm-hmm. Is that true here in Orange County? And it, Orange County's growing. It's a little bit behind the curve. So if you had to look at California as a whole, you'd say San Diego at this point by far is number one. You probably would have, they probably would have rivaled the Bay Area at one point in time, but that's sort of come and gone. Now you have Los Angeles, which is probably the second biggest market in Southern California. Um, huge consumer demand, right. not a lot of production. So really? most of the production's in San Diego. Okay. Um, there's a lot of production in L.A. There's probably more production in Orange County now than wow. there is in L.A. Wow. But Orange County is sort of the slowest market. So North Orange County and South Orange County, very different places. <laughs> uh, for anybody who lives here, you're, you're, you're right. uh, in some ways painfully aware or, or acutely aware of, of the difference. South Orange County is a little bit slower to take, but it's happening. There's a couple new spots that have popped open that have been fantastic, a lot of good support. North Orange County has exploded in the last two to three years. We could not sell a keg of beer in Orange County when we opened. We had the hardest time, and we just couldn't find anybody. And when we did find accounts, they were so few and far between that it was so much work to deliver the beer, it wasn't worth it. So we just would go to L.A., or San Diego, and we'd load up the truck, and we could make all the drops and come back in less time and less effort by leaving the county. Wow. That's changed. It's, okay. a, it's a different story now. And now North Orange County is one of our best markets in Southern California, and South Orange County is slowly growing, mm. but it's still pretty pretty far behind. We're talking with Evan Weinberg. He is owner and co-founder of Cismontane Brewing Company. We're going to take our commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. It's our third and final one, ladies and gentlemen, so don't go anywhere because when we come back, I'm fascinated on how you get your product in into restaurants and into outlets, you know, keg-based. I want to also talk about bottling versus kegs. And this is an interesting business that I've had some exposure to. And since I'm such a fan of the product, I have such a great opportunity to speak with you. We're going we're gonna to be a little selfish in with your time on the radio show. I think it's topics, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be interested in hearing because they're business-based lessons. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. 
For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit axpgold.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at axpgold.com. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Evan Weinberg, owner and co-founder of Sismontane Brewing Company, is our guest for this segment. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our radio show as a podcast. You've downloaded over almost, I should say, like really so close to 16,000 downloads. I'd like to say 16,000 downloads, but it was like 15,978. Close enough during the last 30 days. And we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows, of course, can be heard live on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, and various other podcasting and business-related services. All right, Evan, let's continue to talk about the growth that's available to you. So you're in a market where you're still, there's a lot of headroom for growth, but it seems to me from talking to other craft brewers, one of the limiting factors is getting your supply in the hands of customers. There's only so much you can do in your own tasting room and your storefront, right? You need partners to to pour your products at different restaurants and venues. Uh, and then there's always that challenge of do we go to bottles or not? So can you can you first of all talk a little bit about how do you get the growth through the channel with your with cakes? Gotcha. Yeah, the the sales procedure for a small brewery is, is sort of hands-on. You can't sell beer without showing up. So we make a pretty large effort in being on site to meet with our consumers or, or our buyers, which are mostly bars, restaurants, and whatnot, to show them the product, take them through the tasting, explain to them what the difference is between what they're getting from us and what they're getting from someone else. We're not necessarily trying to displace other brands. We're trying to offer variety, and that's what a lot of consumers want. So if you have variety and you're doing a good job, you'll get the placements, but you do have to show up. That's the critical piece. I love having uh, entrepreneurs on the show who have a product that the consumer can sample, and you know whether it's a... Uh, toffee man, uh, baker, or cookies, or whatever. We've had so many different entrepreneurs who make food-based products, and I always thought, man, that's a. I, I wish I had a product that people could sample. To, it's almost like, you know, the sales process is in your mouth, right? That's you, right. You just have to get to them. Let the beer do the talking. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, and and 
the growth portion on that side, you know, there's two different sides to this business. Most of us have tasting rooms, not all of us. And that's where your highest margin is. Um, to make a lot of money in a tasting room, you need to be centrally located, which means your rent's going to be really high, which is not advantageous to a production facility. Right. So you're sort of in this catch-22 where it's like, I want to get in the city center, but I can't get there because I need too much space and it's going to cost too much. Um, so we end up in the outskirts and we try to get as close as we can to something to, to generate a busy tasting room because that's where the big bucks are. And then when we start distributing, you have to have a pretty wide reach before you can start bringing on full-time salespeople and that sort of thing because your margin is much, much narrower. So right now, our company is sort of in that, in the doldrums, so to speak. We've reached sort of a critical mass at our tasting room, right, once again. And uh, that's that's about all we can do. So now we're trying to branch out into the market, and we just don't have the funds to do it. We could get loans, but you can only service so much debt, right? So right. it's this complicated spot. And unless you got cash... Uh, you know, there's something to be said for just keeping it small and running a tasting room only. Right. So that's where the money is. You know, one of the things that I, um, uh, I've been through a couple tasting room tours in North San Diego. My daughter went to San Diego State, so I had the good privilege of going down with people who knew where to go, right, college students. And uh, and so we had, we've had we had great trips, right, chauffeured uh, tours. It almost feels like there's an advantage to having multiple tasting rooms in a dense geography because of this kind of touring idea that you can get. Is oh, so you're saying being on the side of a mountain in Rancho Santa Margarita is not the best choice? I don't. I, you said that, not me. I'm just asking you. Is that that that's from a consumer's perspective, and it's kind of a novice idea. But to me, it seems like there's almost. A, oh, it's real. The okay. guys in San Diego running the tours actually have viable businesses, especially North County, Vista, right? You know those areas. Those guys are busy, and they have a lot of consumers, and they're doing pretty well. And it brings a lot of business to the tasting rooms. It's a great symbiotic relationship that's really hard to do where we are and in orange county and north orange county it may be possible soon there's enough breweries in a dense enough area that it might actually be a reality at some point i think it's still a stretch all right but we're getting there so can you help me to understand does the does the southern california palette gravitate towards a certain type of hops Okay. Hops, high gravity, lots of strong hoppy beer. That's what we like. Barrel-aged beer is a big thing here, too. But it's a pretty aggressive drinker in Southern California when it comes to beer. Um, I see in the beer community, the brewers like myself and the other guys, we're actually sort of gravitating to lower alcohol stuff. But, you know, our consumer still wants that hoppy, hoppy, higher alcohol, double IPA, and the bourbon barrel-aged stout, and that kind of stuff, which are delicious. Right. But when you're in the industry around it all the time, sometimes you just want a lager. Right. Or a Pilsner. Yeah. Pils, perfect. Okay. I'm I, in. I, okay, I go light on that on that way. But um, are you having trouble getting pro- the raw materials that you need with this growth in your industry? I mean, is that a challenge? Uh, hops have been a bit of a challenge for the last couple of years. It's been hard to get the specialty varieties. They only grow so much, and they're very, very you know, conservative in their growing practices because they have been burned. There was a big boom in the early 90s, and that fell apart, and a lot of the, the hop growers were stuck with expensive hops they couldn't sell. So... The hops have been the toughest thing, but everything else is pretty easy to get. Grain okay. is readily available. Yeast, there's more and more producers of yeast all the time. 
the hard thing for us right now is equipment is really hard to find. When we started, you could buy used equipment for reasonable prices. That's just not an option anymore. Used equipment's ninety you know, 95 cents on the dollar. Because there's such a demand for That's it. That's right. They Everybody wants it. it. And it's stainless steel. It's not going to go bad. Right. There, I mean, little things will happen here and there, wear and tear dents and whatnot. But, you know, that's those are the limiting factors. So you, you're making a perishable product. Yep. Right? It's got to be consumed in a certain amount of time. I don't know exactly how long, but it can't set f- uh, unused for extended periods of time. Right? Varies by style. Okay. But still, you got to move the product. And you got... Uh, you got a manufacturing process, right? I mean, you've got to create the product. So, who in the, who on the Sysmontane team is the person who's planning the production? Well, I, it's a combination of the sales team and the production team, and I manage most of that myself. Okay. I'm more small enough that that's still a major part of my responsibility. It's complicated, you know. We've got five states, two uh, three countries. Um, and you know, within each state, sometimes we have multiple distributors, oh, we've boy. got brewers and I mean, some beers don't finish on time <laughs> things. I mean, it's a moving target. It is so like the balance is tough to find and we do go out of stock on brands on occasion. Okay. And that's just part of being a small company and not having the ability to store inventory. Right? So, so tell me your business model. Are there a certain select types of beers that you're making all the time and then you're adding variety to it or how to, i don't mean to put words in your mouth but how do you construct your, your product yeah offer? we have five brands that we produce all the time okay and we we they're varied imperial stout ipa xpa lager and a sour and then we produce all kinds of one-offs and we have a couple of seasonals that we produce every year so it's a combination we're just making beer we're trying to enjoy ourselves and get it out in the market we can't support more than four or five core brands because we're not big enough. Okay. If we were a little bigger, we might add a couple that we'd like to keep around all the time just to have a varied, you know, profile of flavor available to the consumer at all times. But we just can't do that because we don't have enough tank space. So slowly adding brands as we get bigger, uh, doing some one-offs so that we can enjoy ourselves, do a little bit of barrel aging. So, so that's fun too. And then have some seasonals that we produce every year that are very unique. We do a California buckwheat Oktoberfest, which mm. we just brewed. We harvest the buckwheat ourselves locally. It's a native species and we, you know, brew that into the beer. It's delicious. And so we do a lot of fun stuff like that. That's kind of a once, once a year deal. So do drinkers, consumers of craft beer, do they, do they like the story behind the, the brew? Oh yeah, they love it. Okay. Absolutely, awesome. they want to know as much as they can, okay. especially the the people that are really interested. So, okay. how is it made? What is it made with? You know, what are you guys doing? How many fingers do you have on your left hand? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. does that mean social media is important to you? Social then? media is really important, and it's a good outlet for us. It's nice to be able to put up certain things. The government does try to control us a little bit uh, with what we put out there, and every state's different. So, some states will ding us for things that other states won't. So it's a super complicated thing, and I don't think anybody knows how to deal with social media yet from a legal standpoint cohesively. So we've just, yeah, we put stuff up there, imagery, whatever we can to convey what we're trying to do. So I understand you maintain a blog as well? Uh, I do, yeah. It's... um, It's... uh, it's it's a, it's a fun thing to do. We we write about whatever random topics come up. We're not super aggressive. We post maybe once a month or something like that. 
but there's some good reading on there. It gives you a little you know, information about what we're about and what we're doing, maybe where we're going, some cool projects we've done. Um, but it's a little neglected. Right. Is there any business model where somebody who would come to you and say, here's a Here's a brew I'd like you to take on for me. Do you, is there anybody in the industry that's coming to craft oh, yeah. brewers and saying, can you make this for me? There's a lot of that. Absolutely. Oh, there is. Contract brewing is a huge industry. So it's contract brewing. Okay. Yeah. Right. Like contract manufacturing. Okay, I get that's it. That's right. It. You've right. got a product. you got a dream. You have somebody make it for you. You bring it to market. Um and that's the way a lot of people get started. Boston Beer got started that way. Right. So, you know, Sam Adams, they right. wouldn't exist if it wasn't for contract brewing. Right. So, yeah, that's that's a very common practice in the industry. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes it's frowned upon, sometimes it's not. depends on who you are and what your perspective is. But whatever it takes to get more people in the market, I think, is good. I think everything is... I think it's very healthy right now, and everybody's kind of working for the same goal. As long as you're making good beer, then welcome. Welcome to the club. Right. It, growth is important for most companies. You're a manufacturing company, and growth is expensive. That's right. Because you just can't create the product without an investment in infrastructure and raw materials. And then that thing That's called right. time it takes to get from the raw materials to the finished product. That's right. And then the distribution channel, which likes to eat up a lot of the margin for the favor of delivering it to the end That's user. That's right. So our end margin on... Uh, outside sales is relatively small, right. and that inhibits our growth in some ways. It is also the biggest <laughs> area for growth. What about crowdfunding so, as a source of capital? A lot of brewers do it. A lot of breweries do it. I think they do pretty well. I think the most ever raised was around $60,000. Okay. I think the average is around twenty twenty five grand. That doesn't hurt. But it comes at a cost. Right. You're selling expensive shirts, and you're selling right. you know expensive glasses and stuff like that, which is Or great. you're a fantastic growler. the best in the industry. That's Right. Uh, I've used a few, and I, I, yours is my favorite. Yeah, we've upgraded. We've gone with the stainless steel vacuum insulated growler. They're phenomenal. It keeps uh, the beer super cold. It it's does. fantastic. Cold, fresh, and yeah. clean. Yeah. yeah, they're they're phenomenal. Unfortunately, the beer doesn't last long enough for me to really test how long it would keep it cold. <laughs> so I can't I can't say that I've te- any more than about twenty four hours. But it's kept the cold nice and cold. I've heard hours. hot car six hours middle of the day. Took the growler out. Beer was still cold. Beautiful. So there's that. Okay. So how does someone find you online? How do they find Sismontane? Sismontanebrewing.com. How do you spell that? C-I-S-M-O-N-T-A-N-E brewing.com. Fantastic. And if they're yeah. in Rancho Santa Margarita? Yeah. 29851 Aventura Sweet D. Two five eight nine one Aventura. Yeah, I'm definitely coming Coming by because my growler's just been sitting there. I live in San Juan now, but I've got to come back to Rancho. It's a a beautiful place. It is. We're doing a uh, we're doing a mountain bike ride today. So if you want to get on your bike and come ride with us, we do it every Wednesday night. Wow, it's a lot of fun. Trailheads everywhere. Beautiful Uh place to ride and cheap beer afterwards for the riders only. I know people who would want to do that. I'll have to make sure that they uh, know about that. Evan. Well, thank you for being a friend of the program. Welcome to our community. Hey, thanks for having me. I really really appreciate it. it. It's been fun. Appreciate All right, you. ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank our advertisers who make this possible. Brandman University, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, s Rubber, Succession Strategies, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. 
I'd also like to thank the team that puts the show together. Without you, we wouldn't do it as professionally for sure. And if you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for Business or want to refer a future guest or advertise on the platform, visit my website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. This is Rick Franzi, host of the radio show, saying until the next time we have a chance to speak, I hope that all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 